And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8 as we get into God's Word this morning. You have some sermon notes in your uh, worship folder, so I invite you to take those out as well. Uh, so far in, in, in Romans, uh, Paul has emphasized that we're sinners, uh, but through faith in Jesus, we are reconciled to God. And, and Paul talks about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. That's what we've looked at so far through the book of Romans, uh, between uh, true freedom and life in Christ. And to, to know that, to be able to live that out, we need to repent of our sin and, and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's in verse 37 that Paul calls us more than conquerors. And what does that mean? It's, it's really the idea that we are super conquerors. Uh, and what does it mean to be a super conqueror? Well, to conquer an enemy is to defeat them. Uh, to be a super conqueror is to make those you've conquered work toward your goals uh, for them to be your slaves. Like, for example, we're going to talk about verse 28 in a little bit. Uh, God uses even the bad things that happen in our lives as his slaves to bring about good in our lives. And that makes us super conquerors. We're super conquerors because, uh, and this is on your outline, among other reasons, the goal of our warfare is the glory of God. And that makes us super conquerors. And we're more than conquerors only through Jesus, who is the super conqueror. You know, like many of you, um, I've been encouraged and inspired by the story of the Ten Boom family uh, from Holland. They were arrested for hiding Jews in their home. And if you've never uh, read the story, The Hiding Place, um, I would encourage you to, to read that. It's also been made into a movie that you can actually watch for free on YouTube. Um, and I would encourage you to at least watch the movie. Uh, as you can imagine, the sufferings and the, uh, the going through the horrors of a concentration camp, uh, which Corey Ten Boom did, and she saw her sister Betsy die in this concentration camp, uh, has given her a unique perspective on life and, uh, and, and joy and what that means to be joyful in the Lord. Um, she has so many great stories and quotes, and I, I think one of her quotes really sums up the book of Romans up to this point in our study, and that is the quote that you have on your outline, look around and be distressed, look within and be depressed, look to Jesus and be at rest. Um, you know, take any moment of the day and you look at the news, the news cycle, and you'll be disturbed enough to at least be tempted to throw up your arms and say, what's the point? We can easily be distressed. And then when you look within, it gets worse because as God said through the prophet Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And if you're honest, you realize that you have in your heart the capacity to do any of the things that have so distressed you in the news. But when we look to Jesus, then and only then can we be at rest. Paul looked around at the Gentile world and he said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And when he gets to chapter 7 and really looks inside, you know, like 50 times nearly, he uses the personal pronouns, I, me, and mine, and, uh, and, and he gets pretty depressed in Romans chapter 7. And Paul's desperate. And at the end of it, when he says in his conclusion in verse 24 of, of Romans 7, a wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this, the, the, this body that is subject to death? And we see Paul looking to Jesus throughout Romans. Uh, but, but he looks at Jesus intently in Romans chapter eight. And he sets that up for us by anticipating what's coming with the last verse in, in, verse, uh, in chapter seven, verse 25, when he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's read our passage, Romans chapter eight, beginning at verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. This is God's word to us. What a glorious passage. Um, The first thing we see in verses 28 to 30 is that we are super conquerors because, number one, we are immensely confident in God's loving control. We have a God who is in charge, who is sovereign. And the first statement is regularly listed in verse 28 as one of the favorite verses of of people. When Christians are asked, what are your favorite verses in scripture? Romans 8, 28 is often one of them. The text is so familiar that sometimes we just quote the, we just quote the verse, the, the reference. We'll say, hey, you're having a hard day? Hey, remember Romans 8, 28. Um, I mean, I think that's okay, but I don't know if it should be used that glibly, but the truth is there. 
Uh, maybe sometimes we speak in code and just say, hey, 828. Um, but it's true. that The truth of it is, is there. And the first phrase, all things work together, is one word in Greek. And it would literally be together worked. Uh, and it's the word from which we get, the Greek word is the word from which we get our English word, synergy. Um, and so in other words, in his divine wisdom, in God's divine wisdom and foresight, in his power, he causes all the things that seem haphazard that go on in our lives to be synergized. So the idea of synergy is where two or more things interact with each other and they produce a result that's greater than either one of those things alone. Which is pretty neat how God uses that in our lives. So all things, really all things? What about depression? What about a miscarriage? What, what about not being accepted to the school that I really wanted to go to? What about divorce? What about rape? What about the loss of a child? What about the death of a spouse? God's answer is yes. All those things. And this text, it says it, is for those who love him. It's only for believers. In other words, this is a promise for those who have responded to the love of God, who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And the danger is that it provides a false security for unbelievers. But for believers, this truth, the truth of this verse is like a soft pillow for a weary soul. And I know that I've laid my head on that soft pillow many times. And I'm sure that many of you have as well, if not all of us. You know, it's interesting that we use salt uh, a lot. Uh, we, we enjoy salt the right amount too much. It makes it not good. But uh, you might not know that salt is made up of two poisons. Pure sodium will kill you. Pure chlorine will kill you. They're both poisons. But when you combine them, they become salt. And we all know that the right amount of salt on some of our favorite foods just makes it taste all the better. The bad things that happen in our lives are like poison. And yet God, in his divine chemistry lab can mix those elements together and he says to us just wait for the outcome you don't see it now but that the taste is coming that is just perfect in making you to be exactly like Jesus it's his goal for us that's what we are predestined for Paul is not just he's not at all saying that all the things that happen to us are good they're not good so it's not like he's living in some fantasy world. He's saying that God, and this is on your outline, God uses all those things in our lives for our eternal good. And aren't you glad that it doesn't say most things? It says all things. And this is not a promise either that, that everything will turn out well in this life. It's not. It, it won't. It, it does mean that it will work out for our ultimate good. 
And as we look at the difficulties in our lives, that there sometimes the, the reversals in our lives, things not only are going bad, but they're going in the wrong direction completely. Whatever it is that you are going through right now, when you are in the middle of it, you may not see the good that God is using it for in your life. But we can have confidence in who God is. Confidence in who God is. And when you do have that, you, we hold on to this promise. And it's worth holding on to that God gave this as believers in Romans 8, 28 and 29. And so we're, we're, we're not to see the bad things that happen to us as being destructive, but as something that God is using to prepare us to, to better reflect Jesus in the world for the glory of God. And so we try, and this is on your outline as well, we trust God based on his character, based on who he is. It is God who said in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. God's promise to us is that in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our trials that we're going through, that he is pursuing our ultimate good for his ultimate glory, for our glory, but especially for his glory. You know, Elizabeth Elliot <clears throat> wrote about the martyrdom of uh, her husband uh, and four other missionaries as they were uh, reaching, setting out to reach the Alca Indians of Ecuador. Uh, the people that he went to reach uh, with the gospel killed him and his four friends. All five of these missionaries were killed by these Alca Indians. The title of her book about Jim Elliot's life, mostly based on his journals, is The Shadow of, uh, the, Shadow of the Almighty. And this is where Jim Elliot was killed. In the shadow of the Almighty. Elizabeth hadn't forgotten the heartbreaking facts when, when she chose this title uh, two years after her husband's death. When he was killed, they'd been married three years. Uh, they had a daughter, Valerie, uh, who was 10 months old. The title was not an accident any more than the death of those five missionaries was an accident. The, the world calls it a, called it a tragic uh, nightmare, but Elizabeth believed that the world was missing something. We know the world was missing something. She wrote, the world did not recognize the truth of the second clause in Jim Elliot's famous words. He is no, it should be no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You've got it on your outline. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We have eternal life. We have the crown of life. We'll never lose that. We may lose our lives here in that way, in a tragic way. But that brings us to verses 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. 
And so the confidence that everything that happens is for our eternal good, some commentators have called these, these five words in verses 29 and 30, the golden chain. I love that. God is the one who puts these all together. Each of these five links is God at work in our lives. That God foreknew me means that God loved me. He knew me. He loved me before I loved him. He loved us to salvation. And predestined as a believer, what am I predestined for? To make, he, he wants to make me like Jesus. That's what I'm predestined for. And called, this is the work of God to bring into being what isn't. Like our salvation. Like, like Jesus calling Lazarus to come forth out of the tomb. He was dead. Jesus made him alive. And justified means that, that in Christ we are forgiven. We're actually made righteous when we are in Christ. And glorified, believers are spoken of as already glorified, past tense, even though that is going to be in the future. Because from God's point of view, our glorification is that certain. We will be glorified. And you know, we are finite creatures trying to understand an infinite God. And we'll never be able to completely wrap our minds around who God is with our finite minds. And, and we are bound by time. God is not bound by time. He exists outside of time. And so all of these, this golden chain, all of these five words in his, from his perspective happen all at once. And Paul brings this up so that we can be assured that God will finish what he starts. That's what God does. Our confidence is that 100% of those who are called are justified. And those, that exact same number will be glorified. In other words, and this is on your outline, what God has started in you, he will finish. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter one, verse six. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So when you're going through hard stuff, where do you look for hope? God says, look to me. The author of the Hebrews says, keep your eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of your faith. Paul is saying here that we can, we can look to a sovereign God for hope because he is fully on our side. He is working all things for our good to make us like Jesus. And that is hope indeed. You know, there's so much we could say about this, but the one thing that is absolutely clear from this, it's on your outline, is that the entire initiative in our salvation is from God. You know, there was an older Christian who was asked to give his testimony of how he came to faith in Christ. And he told about how God had sought him out and found him and how God loved him and saved him and healed him. It, just, it was a, a tremendous testimony to the grace of God and the power of God. But after the meeting, a particular meeting where this guy shared his, his testimony, another Christian took him aside and said, you know, I, I appreciated what you said about what God did for you, but you didn't mention anything about your part in it. Because salvation is really part us and part God, right? 
And you should have mentioned something about your role. And this Christian who gave his testimony said, you know, I'm sorry, I really should have been clearer about my part. My part was running away from God. I did that really well. But God's part was running after me until he caught me. And we've all run from God. And I love what uh, the image that that C.S. Lewis gives us of Jesus as the hound of heaven who is after us. He is pursuing us. He's pursuing us to bring us to faith in Christ initially, and then he continues to pursue us, to make us more like his son Jesus. God's ultimate goal is that we will be like him. Like it says in 1 John chapter 3, because we will see him as he is, in all of his splendor, all of his majesty, and all of his glory, and we will be like him. Man, that's hard to wrap our heads around. But as we become more like him, we discover our true selves, the persons that God created us to be. We'll we'll be the best version of us when when our lives are hidden with God, in Christ. How do we become like Christ? Well, we're here today. We're we're fellowship. We want our faith to grow. How, How does faith grow? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so our faith grows as we hear the word. We need to have the intake of the word as much as we can. And we we read it, we study it, we memorize it, we we meditate on it. We we pray, we talk to God. We, We pray with other believers, we're here. That's why God calls us a family. We're 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 together, we need each other. Uh, we we we're, Paul uses the imagery of the body of Christ. We are a body. We we need all the members of our body. One time, my my I used to teach my kids because I had a car that didn't really shut well in the back door, and used to teach my kids they needed to kind of wind up and really shut that door hard for it to stay shut. And my 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 daughter was doing exactly what I had told her. Unfortunately, I had my hand in the jam of the door when she did that. I know, feel the pain. And my little finger, uh, it was, it hurt so bad. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I went home and took two Aleve and two extra strength Tylenol. It was still hurting. I went to the doctor and they x-rayed it and the, the top bone looked like this. It had split right in half. It was so painful. Just my little finger, just the tip of my little finger. Trust me, we need all the members of our body. The second thing we see in verses 31 to 39 is that we are super conquerors because we are perfectly confident in God's keeping power. There are no real new concepts in these verses. Uh, It's just this explosion of praise. Paul asks these five rhetorical questions and Martin Lloyd-Jones calls them logic on fire. I I love that. Each question takes a clear aim at Satan and his minions and and demands a response from us. And the response to every one of these rhetorical questions is no one. Because evil, excuse me, evil is powerless before Almighty God. So then it's introduced in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? 
So rhetorical question number one, if God is for us, who can be against us? What he's saying is that nothing that opposes us in this world can mess up God's purposes for our lives. Who can be against us? Well, how about a bad boss? How about an antagonistic spouse? How about an inward struggle that we're having? How about addictions? Or chronic health problems or difficult kids? The list goes on. And we say, well, all these things are opposing me. They're against me. Well, these struggles are big, but God is even bigger. And we've got to keep that in perspective. We've got to remind ourselves of that truth. You know, there's a a YouTube video of a mountain lion chasing a a, a bear cub. I don't know how they filmed this, but it's, it's well, I thought it was well done. And this bear cub is running for its life, doing a pretty good job of staying away from the mountain lion. Then he goes out on a tree branch, a big kind of a limb that's fallen over a, a river. And he gets to the end of it and it breaks and he falls into the river. And the mountain lion is just tracking him along the river. And he finally comes out and um, it comes up to the, the bear cub, the mountain lion does, and swipes at his face. And you can see the bear club, cub start to bleed. <clears throat> and he knows he's trapped. He knows he's going to die. And he just yells. And it's kind of a high-pitched yell. It's not a real scary yell. But he yells like at, with all of his might, just screams at this mountain lion. And the mountain lion kind of starts backing up. And what the bear cub didn't know is that the mother bear, who is ginormous, is standing right behind him. And that mountain lion is seeing the mother bear. And then the mountain lion backs up and runs away. And the bear cub's like, wow, that was pretty good. And then turns around and sees the mother bear behind him. But you know, sometimes we go through things where we bleed and, and we suffer but we, and, and we're not even conscious of the fact that God is there, but we need to remember that we have a God who is a big God. And he is always there with us. He's always there protecting us. And he will carry us through the hard times. God isn't saying that we're going to avoid all hard times in this life. We will not. But in the hard times, he is with us. God is more powerful than anything we could ever go through. Rhetorical question number two, the cosmic logic is that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, if God gave us his most precious possession, Jesus, to save us, why worry about any of the rest of our needs knowing that God will take care of them? You know, the value of something that we have is whatever, whatever somebody will pay for that. And this is on your outline, that God sacrificed Jesus for you should change the way you see yourself. Because that's what Jesus paid for you. The life of his son. Why would God invest all that Jesus is for you and then not give you everything you need to accomplish his will? He will give you everything you need. Why would God rescue you from sin and and then not help you uh, with a struggling marriage? Why would he put his spirit in you and then 
hide himself from you when you're, when you're dealing with a difficult issue at work. Let's say that on a whim, <clears throat> you visit a Rolls-Royce dealership, and I know that for almost all of us here, that would really be a whim. And, um, and you enter a drawing, and you win the, the Rolls-Royce $340,000 ghost. That's what it's called. I had no idea what this was. I looked up the most expensive cars on Google, and this came up. And when you pick it up, they say, it's all yours, tax-free, take it home. But then they don't give you the keys. And you're like, what's up with that? I need the keys to drive it. Well, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. If the car is yours, then whatever you need to drive it is yours. And in the same way, since we have received this incredible gift from God of salvation in Christ, it's ridiculous to suppose that God would not give us everything else we need to make that happen. Remember, we are predestined to be like his son. That's his goal for us. And if God was willing to pay the price for your salvation in sending his son, then when you pray for something, let's say it's something really big. You might think, well, I'm not worthy of God to answer my prayers. I, I, I don't, why would he answer my prayers? Well, because you're his child. And God gave you Jesus and everything else is small in comparison. Even the biggest request that you could think of. James says, you have not because you ask not. And so ask him, at least ask him. That leads us to rhetorical question number three. God's logic. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. If, If God accepts me, whose disapproval do I fear? I have the approval of the only one whose opinion really matters. Why why does what anybody else think ever bother me? Psychologists tell us that our self-worth is based primarily on what the most important person in our lives thinks about us. If I understand the gospel and that it is God that, that loves me and who is most important to me, then I am who he says I am. And he loves me. He has the very hairs of my head numbered, it says in Matthew 10. I don't even love myself enough to to number the hairs of my head. And it's easier for me than you. (laughs) And then rhetorical question number four, verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? And the answer is the same to all the questions. No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The writer to the Hebrews says the same thing in Hebrews 7.25, that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. And so on your outline you have this, if Jesus the judge was judged in my place, why do I fear judgment? I don't have to. Because I know that, that the that the Messiah will stand in my place. He is my advocate before the Father. He is my, my lawyer before the Father. To say, Lord, I'm, he'll say to the judge, I'm in, you need to look at me when you're looking at this man because I am in his life. That's the promise we have. And then we come to number five. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? All the charges have been silenced by the, our, our great intercessor who died on the cross for us, what we celebrated at the table this morning. And if nothing can separate me from his love, then is there anything left in the universe for me to fear? And the answer is no. There's nothing that I need to fear. And Paul says, he says who, but it's more like what in the list he gives, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Because when you're suffering, it, it, it can feel like who is after you, who is against you. The, but the who on our team is greater than the who on anybody else's team. And that's why Paul quotes in verse 36, Psalm 44. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. It's Paul's like almost defiant here. Because he knows that God is more powerful than anybody in any other circumstance. That no matter what he faces, God is is behind him and is much bigger like that mama bear behind that bear cub. And of course this is true for us as well. What a privilege. What what Satan means for evil in our lives, God now, it's like that poison of the salt. He uses it for good. And so verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says we're not just victors, we're super victors. More than conquerors, we're not, we're, what we are now and how we will regard ourselves through all eternity, it comes from him, from who he is. We base it on his character. Christosom was an early church father and was the uh, Archbishop of Constantinople. And when, uh, when Christosom was brought before the Roman uh, emperor, the emperor threatened him with banishment as a Christian. And Christosom replied, you cannot banish me for this world is my father's house. So then I will kill you, said the emperor. And Christosom said, no, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ and God. That's my life. And the emperor said, then I'll take away everything you own, all your riches, everything will be gone. And Christosom said, no, you cannot, because my treasure's in heaven. And my heart is there. So the emperor said, then I'll drive you away from your friends and family. You will have no one left. And Christosom said, no, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. And so I defy you, emperor, because there is nothing you can do to hurt me. That's what all of us can say. Every one of us can say those same things. And then in verses 38 and 39, at this point, Paul just lets it all out. And he ends with this amazing crescendo. And if you're sitting at a piano or an organ or some great instrument, it would be a a, a triple F, triple fortissimo. Make it as loud as you can. And in his emotion, he even switches to the first person. And he says this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God 
that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the who of our salvation is always greater than the who of our opposition. That's what he's saying. And so you've got this question on your outline. Are are you facing your trials with this kind of gospel logic that we've seen in in this passage in these rhetorical questions? And so what we need to do, what we all need to do is to preach the gospel to our hearts. To, to preach the, the gospel where, where we feel most afraid, where we feel most insecure. We apply the gospel, the grace of God to those areas of our lives. And when we do that, uh, God turns our, our trials into triumphs ultimately and, and, and here, and, and God turns tears into joy. You know, the book of Romans is more than just a theological explanation of God's redeeming grace. It is that. But it is God's love letter of comfort and confidence and encouragement that is addressed to you. It's the gospel, according to to the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman Christians. How are we saved? There has to be genuine faith. And how do you have it? You admit that you can't make it on your own strength. Salvation comes when we admit how weak we are and we receive Jesus Christ into our lives to live our lives, to be our strength. Is your heart open to the grace of God? That's what we need for salvation, but we need the grace of God in every area of our lives. God has not abandoned you. He loves you. So we embrace Jesus because his mercies are new every day. And our only hope is Jesus. You know, I've challenged you to memorize Romans 8. I'll tell you what, whether you've done it or not, over this next week, just read, maybe out loud to yourself, whisper it out loud, Romans 8, 28 through 39, passage we've looked at today. And, I, and just watch your insecurities disappear. Watch your confidence in Christ catch fire as you do that. Do it every day for a week. Do it every day for a month. You'd basically have it memorized. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the tremendous logic that you give us in your word in these rhetorical questions. It is logic on fire. It is gospel logic. We thank you for this golden chain that we have and the the assurance that you are at work in our lives. And Father, we love you so much. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you personally, that they would reach out to you in faith right now and just say, Lord, I need you in my life. I wanna make you my savior and my Lord. I receive you. Thank you for your promise that you're faithful to respond. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you for this, your word to us this morning. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So from the end of Romans, the apostle Paul writes this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. And please introduce yourself to the people you're sitting around before you leave. Thanks.